Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Focus on what you need to focus on. At the appropriate time, it is healthy, yes, to reminisce. It is Good to remember where God brought you from, how he brought you out of your sin and how he delivered you. And if you, if you forget, there's always somebody who will remind you, right? I mean, you, will, you move ahead. You keep pushing forward. The apostle, one of the apostles put it this way, as led by the Holy Spirit. We have it recorded in this holy book called the Bible. It says, forgetting what is behind and pressing on ahead to the mark of God's high calling. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and following says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's a great cloud of witnesses, according to the scripture, of saints who have gone on before us that are cheering us on and there's been a lot of debate about that whether they can see where the people who pass away and are in the presence of God if they can see us here today and so on I, I don't know all those things but I know this the Bible says that they're cheering us on there's a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on and saying go for it and so we're not alone in the spiritual realm we are definitely not alone God is with us and he's pulling with us and he wants us to fulfill his mandate to go into all the world and proclaim the good news. That's one of the reasons why I do what I do at Vanguard. It really truly is. It's because we're training up leaders that are going to fill these very pulpits. That's what we are doing. That's why I shamelessly ask you to support us prayerfully and financially. And that's why an usher's going to come right now. We're not going that far. But we do need that kind of support and help because it is more than just an institution. This is more than just a, a church as an institution. The college is more than a college as an institution. It is more than that. It is, it is part of the fulfilling of the call of God to go and proclaim the good news. Because I remind you, what else really matters. At the end of the day, what else really matters? We've really noticed a change in the last few days in the Edmonton area, the Sherwood Park area, by way of the hustle and bustle of the season. Have you noticed it here yet? Not really? Well, visit Calgary and, and you will see, I, I mean, it's really noticeable. The people are, are going, you know how they go a little berserk? You know, I mean, really, dr drive crazy, man alive. I had to cut a few people off, and <laughs> no, oh no, <laughs> I mean, they were cutting me off. I'm sorry, but it, <laughs> you get the drift. I mean, we can get sucked into that, right? We can get sucked into that so quickly, and and it just is so. And you forget what matters. And they're doing all this, by the way, to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you're like, wow, wow, how does this fit in? Well, it doesn't fit in. It doesn't fit in. 
Be a follower of Jesus Christ. Oh, no, no, no. Don't worry. I'm not going Scrooge on you. I'm not suggesting for a moment that we don't celebrate. But let's remember what we're celebrating. The Hebrew readers of the book of Hebrews needed encouragement. They were facing persecution. They were facing a hard time. They were, they were called to follow the perfect example of Jesus Christ who overcame difficult situations over and over and over. I don't know if you've ever felt like quitting. I, I, I bet you have. I bet you've had your moments where you go, oh, forget this. I, I, I bet those moments have come to you. They've come to most of us because the enemy hates us. And the enemy does not want us to succeed, does not want us to be good parents and grandparents and aunties and uncles. The enemy does not want that. The enemy does not want us to reach out and see more and more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's not what the enemy wants. And so for the enemy to try to get us down and push us down, I mean, he did that with the Lord Jesus. The enemy tried to push the enemy, uh, Jesus down. The enemy tried to push Jesus down, down, and down. But the Bible says that he overcame. He overcame. And we will overcome as well. And so sometimes, I don't know, I've had my moments in the past where I have feared that we have become a church, and I, stay, I speak of a, a church as generally, that we have become a church that only follows Jesus if he is giving out the free lunch. You know, we, we almost become as if some of the people in Matthew 14, it almost seems like, you know, they're, they're there for the miracle. They're there for the next freebie. And uh, in Matthew 14, verse 18, it says, it says, bring them here to me. This is Jesus. He said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves, and he gave it to the disciples, and this, the disciples gave it to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. In other words, this crowd had mowed down, and there were still 12, there were still 12 baskets of pieces left over. And the number of the people who ate, according to the scripture in Matthew chapter 14, was 5,000 men. And we don't guess this part. It says it. Besides women and children. So conservatively, you're talking 20,000, if not much more, people ate that day. And 12 baskets of broken bread left over. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but many have wondered, where did the 12 baskets of leftovers go. And many surmise this, the Bible doesn't say this, but many have guessed that it went to the little boy who gave up his lunch. His little wee investment that he gave to Jesus, it came back hundredfold. And he got all the leftovers. I don't know if that's true or not, but it sure preaches good. <laughs> Just before the miracle took place, though, Jesus was told. And this is what I want you to catch. Just before this, Miracle took place. Jesus was told, a messenger came to Jesus, John chapter 12, and he said, your cousin was killed in prison. They beheaded him, that's John the Baptist, 
They beheaded him as payment for a young woman's provocative dance that pleased an evil king. And so that really horrific situation happened. I don't know if Jesus had a moment of, a private moment of weeping. I don't know how he processed that. But according to the scripture, very quickly after that, very quickly, in fact, it would appear immediately after that, Jesus goes right back to the mission at hand. He didn't allow himself to get caught up even in the loss of his cousin. He didn't get all upset to the point where he couldn't function because John the Baptist had lost his head, literally. Horrific situation. I mean, it's easy just to let those words roll off of my tongue, but can you imagine how horrific that really is? For those of you who have been around death, and those of you who have been around bloodshed, you know this is a horrific thing. And yet Jesus, again, refocuses on what the call is, on what the mission from the Father is. And he goes and he feeds the 5,000 men plus women and children. And he gets back on track and he gets going to what he needs to do. And in a similar fashion, you and I, when we go through difficult times, we need to do the right thing. You've heard the expression for you that are ranchers, you know, when you fall off the horse, you get back up on the horse right away. You don't go, oh, I'll go back on the horse tomorrow. Because if you wait till tomorrow... You won't get on the horse because it'll have had 24 hours of fear to settle into your soul. And so God wants us not to do that. God says, no, get back on the horse. It's the same sort of thing. Get on the horse, get going. It's almost like run to your fear because God is with you and God cares about you. So the Bible says, let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. Run with perseverance. Like, go for it. I want to encourage you guys, even with your banquet, I don't know how much space you have for your Christmas banquet. Maybe you, I'm, I assume you're fairly limited on what you can do by way of numbers because of the catering or whatever you're doing. But whatever space you have, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Amen? Let there not be one empty chair at your banquet. Can I get a witness in the house? Well, that wasn't very convincing. <laughs> like, make sure. You say, well, there's tickets and they cost money. Well, they don't cost a lot. That's pretty reasonable, a whole family for $50. But even there, if you, don't, if you can't afford it, I can give you a few people in this congregation that can help pay for you, all right? And so you just come to me and I'll set you up and they'll pay for you. Amen. So it'll be credited to them in heaven. That's what the Bible says, by the way, in Mark chapter, pardon me, Matthew chapter 6. I be a little, I'm a little being a little facetious with you, but not too much. Do whatever you can do to bring them in. Because Christmas 2019 will never, ever happen again. It will never happen again. And so we have this moment. Grab hold of it. Run the Christian race. It's not a marathon. Pardon me, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So persevere. Persevere. Keep going forward. Paul used the same imagery near the end of his life. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Wow, that's powerful. I've kept the faith. I've trusted the Lord. I remember seeing my dad on his deathbed, and he died a slow death. 
pancreatic cancer, and he was, it was a slow death, to say the least. We were called to his bedside, uh, we thought, for the end, many, many times. And uh, it, it wasn't the end until it was the end. But I know that even though my dad was a quiet man, uh, his faith was a quiet faith, but it wasn't uh, ineffective or uh, it was very authentic, it was very real. And he ran the race. And when he died, he could say, I have kept the faith. And your call is to follow the Lord and to run the race. It's going to look different for you than it is for me. For some of you, it is going to be continuing to live out your life on the farm or whatever aspect or wherever you live in a very meaningful, God-centered way. And that is running the race for you. God has called you to do that. You're to be an intercessor. You're to be a giver. You're to be a a light for Jesus Christ. How you live your life, how you conduct your business, how you uh, conduct your farming, whatever the case may be. And you should be able to say, if you get one of those deathbed moments, you should be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. You should be able to say that. And I think it's very important that you endeavor to be sure that you are faithful to the very end. I love the example that I have before me. I can't show you because I didn't give it to Ken for the PowerPoint. But I have a picture of a couple here. And this picture is of a couple that were married 76 years Some of you who are in a less than wonderful marriage are going, oh my goodness. (laughs) Take me home, Lord. You know, (laughs) like, but you know, 76 years of marriage. And it's interesting. And we knew a couple like this as well. I'm sure I've mentioned them to to you before, uh, the Moody's. And I I remember being at their 75th wedding anniversary uh, celebration. And they, of course, talked about how uh, they were able to have 75 years of marriage together. And uh, this couple here that I have before me, this picture of these people, they died within a few hours of each other. They had finished the race, and God had been blessing them, and they had been faithful to one another all those years. A wonderful example of a picture of what God wants for us in the body of Christ, that we would be faithful to Him And that we would recognize that according to the scripture that we, the church, are the bride of Christ and he is the bridegroom and and he wants us to be faithful to him and and walk in a way and live in a way that is pleasing to him. Getting back to my example of the Moody's, you know, it's really a tremendous example and we were at the celebration and they asked her the question. She was a very vivacious, incredible lady, um, ministry couple, She had so much spunk, oh my goodness. It made Lady Di look like she was, uh, you know, half asleep. Where is Lady Di? There she is over there. You know how wired she can get? Well, this is this uh, this lady was like that, and she was like I said, she was a she was a senior person to say the least, 75 years married. And they asked her the question, how do you stay married 75 years? And, and still love each other and still care about each other and so on and so forth. And she said, this is what happened. Every time we had a, a disagreement or a fight, she said, I went for a long walk. And then she said these words, I, and I never forgot to come back. 
Isn't that cool? And then it was a year or two later, I forget the exact timing, one of them, I don't remember which one, got sick. This is no word of exaggeration. They got sick and very suddenly and died. The other one found out about it, of course, and was grief-stricken. And within 24 hours, the other one died. And they had a double funeral for the Moody's, a double funeral for them. And the family was in shock, but everybody was saying, how wonderful that they finished the race together. Now, I've, I'm not saying, don't, don't take this too far, because you don't want to take this too far because, because, you know, not everybody's going to pass away the same day as their spouse, unless a bridge is involved, you know. Like, you know, like, you know, you don't do that, right? Like, hopefully you don't get hit in a car. I mean, I shouldn't even say these things. But anyway, I don't let me take this too far, all right? Um, sometimes people finish the race. I mean, it's a, the point is, is that God has a plan for you. He does. He has a plan for you. And he cares about you. And he wants you to fix your eyes upon him. I love this modern song that is probably a couple of years old already. But I have the lyrics before me. And you may recognize it. I'm not going to sing it for you because I don't have the rights. But, uh, okay, I can't sing either. It says, one day I'll stand before you, talking about Jesus. One day I'll stand before you and look back on the life I've lived because you're already there. When I'm lost in the mystery, to you my future is a memory because you're already there. Standing, in, standing at the end of my life, waiting on the other side, and you're already there. You're already there. In other words, if you can get in your head for a moment, like the, like the singer here, he understood that at the end of his life, Jesus is still, he's still there. He's the one that will hang in there. He's the one that is waiting for us on the other side. He is wanting us to come to him, but he also wants our neighbors to come with us. The neighbor coming or not coming has no direct bearing on what I have decided to do by accepting Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. But now that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I want to take as many people to heaven with me as possible by leading them to Jesus, by showing them the love of God, by telling them about the love of God. So Jesus is waiting for you. He's waiting for us. He is with us today. He'll be with us tomorrow. He'll be with us after that. And we trust him every step of the way. And when we get a bit of a twist or a turn in life, that's when we double down and say, God, I am not a fair weather follower of you. I am a committed follower of you, Lord, and I'm going to press in. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to strive to be all that you've called me to be in the power of your spirit, not to be saved, but because I want to please you in the way I live my life. The Bible says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You often hear this quoted at funerals, but bear with me, would you? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. Hmm. If that were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, Jesus says. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way. And you know the place where I am going. And I'm so glad for Thomas because he speaks up. The guy who is labeled Doubting Thomas. And he says, and I quote, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And we don't know how to get there. And Jesus answered, I am the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do not know. You cannot say that you don't know him because you have seen me and you have seen the Father. And this is what God wants us to hear again today as we wind up. And that is this, that Jesus is the answer. He actually is the answer. And Thomas, for some reason, even after three years in a wonderful Bible college with Jesus Christ as the professor, he still didn't get it. He still somehow missed out that it was all about Jesus Christ. And it still stands that way today. If you ever feel insecure and you're just saying, man, I heard this, I heard that, because there's a lot of crazy teaching out there. They may mean well, but it's still crazy teaching. And it can really cause you to be insecure. And it can really cause you to go, wow, really? Go back to the scripture and remember this, that Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And in other words, if we are in Christ, and it says that in other parts of the scripture, if we are in Christ, we will be just fine. We are in Christ. Don't take that for granted. Make sure that you understand the scriptures. Make sure you pray it through. Make sure you repent of your sins, of course. But when you're in Christ, you are in Christ, and you walk in him, and he is the only possible way to the Father. He is the only possible way to spend eternity in heaven. Now that is going to stay a constant in your life. No matter who pastors this congregation, that is a constant because it's from the word of God. And that's the kind of thing we grab onto and we hold on and we hold on hard and we don't let go because God wants us to be secure in our salvation. He doesn't want us to be insecure. Some of us were raised up with the idea that you're in and you're out of this relationship with God. And we used to joke about it, except as kids, we believed it. And I remember they used to say, well, there's a big chalkboard in heaven. And when you repent, your name is written in that book of life. And you're accepted and God loves you. And then you walk out of the building and you do something you shouldn't have done. And the angel rubs your name off. And you got to wait till next Sunday to get your name back on. And it was crazy thinking. We're to be more secure than that. 
Be more secure that God loves you. He cares about you. But I don't want to presume here today. I don't want to presume that everybody has accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior because I've had experiences where people have sat in services such as this for weeks and months and years, and we all assumed they were Christians. We all assumed they accepted Christ because they looked like Christians, they acted like Christians, they smelt like Christians. And so we thought they were Christians. And they weren't. And even as the pastor, I didn't know because they were wonderful people. And I remember one day we invited, in, one, in particular, this one guy, Jim. We had a, typically we'd ask people to respond to an altar like this. If you wanted to accept Christ, we'll pray with you. And Jim comes forward and we led him to the Lord. He'd been with us for years. I said, Jim, I thought you were a Christian. He says, well, you know, I often thought about it. You know, he says, I like coming here. I like hearing the messages. I love the music. I love the people. But he said, I've just never accepted Jesus as my Savior. And he accepted Jesus as a Savior that day. He was a senior man. And so I don't presume. You say, well, I've been part of this church for 20 years. Well, that's nice. But it will not get you to heaven. You say, really? <laughs> really? 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 I remember when Billy Graham used to have his crusades. Lots of pastors would get saved. They had not accepted Jesus as their Savior. Being part of the Pentecostal church won't save you. Going to Bible college won't save you. Being a wonderful husband or wife or friend won't save you. Make life a little more easy, but it won't save you. No, there's only one way to Jesus. Pardon me, to the Father, it's through Jesus. Jesus is the only way. And as we continue to draw to a conclusion, you remember the picture we get. Jesus hanging on the cross. And he's bleeding and he's dying there. Stripped naked, hanging there. Humiliated. They've already spit on him, beat the daylights out of him, just beyond, the Bible says his appearance was not good. And he's hanging there and dying. And at one point, the gospels say that both thieves were, who were being crucified on each side of him, both thieves at one point were hurling insults at him. If you're really the Christ, come off that cross. Save yourself and save us. Because we're dying here. Jesus didn't respond. He was busy dying for the sins of the world, including those guys, if they would receive. And one of them, in the process of being killed on the cross, one of them came to a place where they turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now Jesus had something to say. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. You said, that can't be. He wasn't baptized. He didn't tithe. He wasn't a nice person. He, was, he probably deserved what he was getting. Not Jesus, but the other guy. No, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So I don't care how bad your past is, how ugly it is, Jesus will still receive you if you repent. If you say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. 
come into my life, Lord. He will do it for you. And he will change you completely. Praise his holy name. You know, he is still calling. 